Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score, uh, the Life Happens edition. Uh, you are coming to a Nate and BK who are uh, busy with all sorts of life things happening. So this might not be our usual hour 20 foray into deep dive Mizzou topics, but uh, we're going to hit the highlights and, and tell you our thoughts. So it'll be worth it. BK, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm in the middle of, to take people behind the scenes, I'm in the middle of a move tomorrow, or I guess as people are listening to this, probably today, uh, I'm officially closing. We are first-time home buyers. We are moving. Um, so this weekend, that I'm, that's what I'm going to be spending the time with. I am actually, this is the last audio medium of any capacity that I will be doing before I head into the dark abyss for the next four days i'm taking some time off of uh, my radio show to be able to move and get everything kind of situated so uh you guys are the last ones that get to hear me so yeah it's oh, i'm excited about this yeah I, I hey i prioritize the really important stuff in my <laughs> life let's be honest here so That's i'm right. looking forward to it man it's good to talk mizzou yeah so at, at some point in your life and i i'm not exactly sure when it hits but there is a point in your life where you can no longer pay people in pizza and beer to help you move are you still oh, no, in no, that no. room? I'm still there. You? Oh God. yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Oh yeah. No, I actually have right now in my car, waiting for us to take it over to the new house. I have three thirty racks, and then we will be ordering some pizza tomorrow. That's actually literally our plan. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. Must be nice. I am full born into the you can pay us in money camp. Uh, so that's a it's a depressing place to be. But hey. 
this might be your last move that you get to utilize it. So uh, enjoy that, man. Oh, I'm taking full advantage. I can promise you that. One one of my buddies just actually texted me earlier today. He, he lives like right down the street from where we're moving. He's like, hey, I'm I'm actually available if you need anything on Friday or Saturday. I was like, haha, joke's on you. You just signed yourself up. Yeah. So I'll see you on Saturday. Pepperoni <laughs> or sausage, you let me know. Yeah. <laughs> Bud uh, Light or Bud Select, those are your options. <laughs> yes, that's, that's absolutely right. And just for the record, when you as a person can no longer pay people in pizza and beer, you also refuse to accept pizza and beer. So I am not helping BK move and I am not sorry. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't blame you. I am not somebody that enjoys doing any of this stuff. Meanwhile, my fiance, her coworkers, this is all so far behind the scenes. I apologize. Um, her coworkers are like, enjoy the hell out of painting and mm -hmm. all of the first time home buying stuff projects list that you have to do. So they're going to be coming over to paint this weekend. So oh, yeah, nice. it's, it's going to be enjoyable. Man, just got an army of uh, associates to, to do your bidding. <laughs> For a slice of pizza. God, that is so. You got to love great, it, man. man. Good company, pizza and beer. What more could you ask for? Yeah. Well, that's, that's good life, man. It's good life. Well, let's get into the Mizzou stuff. Uh, enough about BK's personal life. You weirdo. <laughs> um, we had some things happening this week in the past couple of weeks that we haven't talked to you about. So we're going to dive into it. The first thing I want to talk about today is actually something that just came across the wire early, uh, later this afternoon. Uh, the, the Missouri football staff, kind of got a shake up as far as dollar allotment on the yearly compensation. And there was uh, some new titles doled out. The most uh, significant of which is our, our dear offensive line coach, Marcus Johnson. He got himself a promotion. He is now the offensive line coach, which he already was, but he's also uh, the run game coordinator and assistant head coach. Bravo, Marcus Johnson. Bravo. Um, BK, when I see this sort of thing happen, it tells me one of a couple of things. Number one, he could just be just a, a really damn good coach, and you want to you want to have him have more influence over the team, so you bump him up to AHC. AHC. That's one way. The second thing that pops into mind is, oh, someone was sniffing around trying to hire him, and so you need to pay him a little bit more money to keep him around. And usually paying him a little bit more money means he needs to get a little bit more responsibility. So you throw a, an assistant head coach tag on there and add some run game coordinator uh, qualities to that and, and call the day. So am I, is there anything else I'm missing here or does that kind of jive with what you're thinking? No, that, that all pretty much goes exactly where it is. Um, this is about money, right? This is, this is a way to get your coaches a little bit extra money. And this happens in any walk of life. Like you may have been, the assistant VP of sales previously. Now you're the VP of sales or you're the associate VP of sales. Like this is how uh, corporate world works, right? And so Marcus Johnson now, instead of just being, hey, he's the offensive line coach. Oh, he's the run game coordinator. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, you've got an offensive coordinator who's your head coach. So is Marcus Johnson assembling the game plan when it comes to the running game? Maybe he's helping with that. I would guess he probably was already doing a good amount of that. So uh, I don't know this to be the case, but my guess is you're on the right line of thinking here. Get him a little extra cash. The salary pool for the assistants probably went up a little bit this offseason. And so Marcus Johnson was one of the guys that they wanted to prioritize. So whether it be this offseason, somebody was looking around or next offseason, they believe somebody will come looking around. 
uh, this is kind of a preemptive way to say, hey, we appreciate you. We love you here. We want you to continue to be here. And I'm glad because, I mean, it's a very small sample size of 10 games, but we didn't expect the offensive line to be capable last year, much less pretty solid. And it was pretty solid. So I think Marcus Johnson deserves a ton of credit for that. And again, small sample size, but it seems like he's a pretty darn good coach. I agree. He's only 39. Uh, he started out as a strength and conditioning coach back in 2011 uh, at Duke. Worked his way up to quality control for a couple of years and then was offensive line coach 16 and 17. Uh, joined uh, Mississippi State in 18 and 19 as an offensive line coach and then came to Missouri. Uh, BK, I actually know what a run game coordinator is, believe it or not. Um, okay. Yeah. Tell me all about it. So, so when you're thinking of an offensive coordinator, a lot of times we think that it's, you know, kind of the simplistic view is that guy calls all the shots in offense. He is responsible for all the position groups. He runs those practices. He runs that film. He implements strategy, calls plays, all that stuff. And, and most of that is true. What when you're in the college level specifically, and you have various levels of talent, um these coordinators will will kind of deputize aspects of the playbook. So you got, you know, in your playbook, you got all your plays, but they're kind of grouped into certain areas. You got first down, second down, third down, fourth down, yes. But you have red zone, you have inside the 40, you have short yardage, you have um, two-minute drill, you have opening script plays, and you all categorize that. But there's also a passing plays and a running plays. And the run game coordinator tends to be either a running backs coach or an offensive line coach. And what they do is during practice, they give feedback to the offensive coordinator and say, hey, if you want to run that running play, uh, we either need to throw it out completely or, or retool it. And it's, he's basically coming to the coordinator and saying, these are the run plays that these are the run plays that we can do successfully and consistently. So it's providing that direct feedback to the coordinator to go, okay, well, we either A, need to practice that more, or B, we need to throw it out and just, you know, Think of something different. So that run game coordinator gives that kind of feedback. Same for a passing game coordinator. That tends to be a wide receivers coach or a quarterbacks coach. Same thing. These are the routes that these guys are really good at. These are the concepts that we do really well. If you want to combine that with this kind of blocking scheme, knock yourself out. Like it's just, it's extra feedback. It's extra input for the offensive coordinator who can't be everywhere at once. Um, and so that extra responsibility is really good for Marcus Johnson because he's in the trenches. He can see how they open those holes. He can see how the running back hits him, uh, and he can provide that feedback to make the running game better. So it's actually a pretty decent position. So here's my question that I would then have as a follow-up. Are we under the assumption Marcus Johnson wasn't already doing that? See, that's the thing. Probably not. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I appreciate all of the explanation that you just gave, and it's like super interesting and – it sounds like something Marcus Johnson should be a part of. And also, I would imagine he was already a part of all those things. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. You're not now he gets title for it, though, and that's the important part. Official title, and when he goes, when he, if he interviews somewhere else, he can talk about specifically the schemes that he changed. He has a little bit of a hand in the offensive playbook, so if he's looking to be a coordinator, sure. he has an official responsibility that he can point to and say, hey, give me a shot at OC. Uh, it, it is absolutely a corporate career bullet point, <laughs> more more often than not. Uh, but it is something that the, uh, he at least gets credit for, both from a acknowledgement standpoint and a monetary standpoint. So that's here's the other thing, just on Marcus Johnson in general. Mm -hmm. If there is one position coach that I would want to keep in place once you find a good one, 
it's the offensive line coach because no. they are really, really hard to find. Mm -hmm. And when you find a good one, man, you fight like heck to be able to keep that guy. And a lot of the times, I don't, I don't know Marcus Johnson personally, but a lot of times they're kind of quirky. And so a lot of them don't end up getting hired as offensive coordinators. Typically that's like quarterback coaches. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll see receivers coaches move up occasionally, especially at the college level, you'll see running back coaches that are moved up to the OC. Mm -hmm. uh, it, doesn't happen a ton for offensive line coaches, probably not even as much as it should, honestly. But those are guys that you want to keep within your program when you have a good one. And it seems to me like Mizzou has a good one. So this is this is a, uh, a solid move in my mind. It, again, whether it was somebody was poaching this offseason or a preemptive strike on anybody that tries to next offseason, either way, it's smart by my, on, by my standards, at least. For 14 years, Missouri had Bruce Walker as their offensive line coach. And he took farm boys from the middle of Missouri, two and three star kids mm -hmm. and coached them up to pretty formidable offensive linemen. And he retired after the 2013 season and the offensive line had some high points here and there, but it's really never been that consistently successful that we saw under the Pinkle regime. So yes, Offensive line coach is incredibly important. And uh, if, if this is what we have to do to hold on to Marcus Johnson and and he continues to do what he has shown in the, in his first year, uh, or at least build upon that, absolutely. You got to hold on to him and never let him go. Uh, so, yeah, you're absolutely right on that. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations, Missouri football staff, for all your pay increases and title increases and all that stuff. That's very cool. Let's get it to the negative, man. Let's talk about some swings and misses because <laughs> last time we were chatting, we were fawning over ourselves, imagining a world where Mr. Jamison Williams is running around in the Missouri receiving room. And I think literally the next day he committed to Alabama and then Jordan Johnson hit the, the transfer portal. And I freaked out because I wanted Jordan Johnson really bad. I remember texting you. I said, this is not a drill. Jordan Johnson's in the <laughs> transfer portal. Let's make it happen. Uh, and then it sounded like Texas A&M was going to get him, but Missouri might have had a chance. And then out of nowhere, Jordan Johnson commits to UCF. Um, so, yeah, not great on the transfer portal acquisitions. Obviously, you can't win them all. But, uh, BK, how do you feel? Are these are these massive losses? Or is it like, oh, it would have been really nice to have a four- and five-star talent, but oh, well. Uh, yeah, probably the latter. I think the reason why we got so excited about them is because it's St. Louis kids, Missouri kids that could potentially come home. And Drinkwitz had done such a good job with these of finding a way to make them happen. Jamison Williams, though, I mean, if you're telling me a kid's going to choose between Alabama and Mizzou and he chooses Alabama, yeah, it's kind of hard for me to be able to look at that and be like, yeah, Mizzou should have got that kid. No, I mean, it's Alabama. You understand that every time. Now, I'm a little confused why if you're going from Ohio State because of the depth at the receiver position, you choose to transfer to Alabama, which might be literally the only school in the country that has more talent at the receiver position than Ohio State. So that's a little strange to me, but whatever. Hey, God bless him. Hopefully he goes down there and kills it. I hope he's awesome at Alabama. Uh, but the one that surprised me even more, the one that was a little more difficult for me to be able to comprehend uh, was Jordan Johnson deciding to go to UCF. That one just came out of nowhere. Like you said, it seemed like it was Mizzou, probably Texas A&M, though. And then UCF was the decision. It's like, 
all right, man. Hey, again, God bless you. I hope everything goes well for you down there. But it would have been nice to get him in particular at Mizzou because he's the type of body that the Tigers just don't have a whole lot of. Agree. Um, I mean, we have a Towski Dove, we have a Kiki Chisholm, but you take a five-star guy every single time that you can, especially since we have uh, two scholarships to play with uh, as of currently for this incoming class. So it is a little confusing. Um, Jameson Williams, you're right. I mean, the only talent, the only roster more talented than Ohio State is Alabama, and I know they lost. They just lost like two Heisman, well, a Heisman Trophy winner and a Heisman Trophy finalist. So maybe you think you can break in through there. That just seems more like a uh, what I'll call a personal brand move. Uh, where he wasn't going to see the field at Ohio State and really wasn't going to see it at any time soon. So he wanted to stay with a team that could get him in the NFL, but also just a fresh start. Um, and he's built a lot like uh, Devontae Smith. So maybe they, I don't know, maybe there's something in there that he thinks that he could not only see the field, but build a, build a brand and be available for, for an NFL team to pick up in a couple of years. I don't know, but. I think the other reason we got so excited was because Gabe Diarman, who gets excited about nothing, says that you know keep your eyes out on this. Mm-hmm. Um, not to blame him at all, but like it's like he never says anything, and then he said it about this, and then it come through, and so that's not great for Jordan Johnson. The Jordan Johnson one makes even less sense to me than Jamison Williams. Um, let, me, let me tell you why. So so Gus Malzahn, uh, as late as of Auburn, but currently at UCF. Uh, is the coach there now? BK, do you know how many thousand yard receivers Gus Malzahn has coached in his career? Oh God, probably one or two. The answer is zero. Zero. That's pretty impressive considering he was at <laughs> Auburn. I mean, yeah, but like the thing with Malzahn is that his system, his offensive systems, never predicated on passing the ball. It's about finding a mobile quarterback. Who can throw it? Sure, but mostly is just kind of opening, you know, creating space and, and opening up the run game. So between Arkansas State and, and Auburn, uh, he has never coached a thousand yard receiver. So I guess Jordan Johnson is like, ah, I'll be the first at UCF. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just kind of weird. Not a lot of five stars go to group of five programs, which as as good as the American Conference is, it's still technically a, a group of five program. Uh, so I, yeah, it, it was just very confusing to me, but I will say, I do appreciate these, um, these Twitter announcements of the, of the commitment where the, I, there's so many, and then especially, uh, Williams and Johnson are like, this is personal. This is personal. It's like, man, man, you, you sound awesome about saying this is personal about anything. Like I I don't know. I think I need, need to start incorporating that in my life. Like it's in my emails with this is personal. <laughs> Or like, just, I don't think it works so, quite the same in like corporate world so, just as like, it does in college. Sitting in my car, softly whispering to myself, "This is personal." As I get McDonald's for the second time this week, like you know, you you could do it in any 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 scenario that you want. It doesn't make any it doesn't mean anything. I know that these guys get fueled on disrespect and internal motivation and external doubters and all that stuff. So like, yeah, good for you, go do it. But five star leaving Ohio State or five star leaving Notre Dame for UCF, I'm like. Is it personal, Jordan? Is it? Um, but okay, yeah. Knock yourself out. Say what you got to say. Hey, good on you. It's always nice to get recruited a second time, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. And I, 
I really do. I hope those guys go on to have the ultimate success. I mean, they're, they're local kids. So um, I do hope they go on to have success. I was just su- frankly surprised by both of those mm-hmm. decisions. Um, the Jamison Williams, just to go back to that one more time. I, I was looking at Alabama's recruiting over the last few years, specifically at the receiver position. So they had one four-star wide receiver in 2019, two in 2020, and then they signed four in the 2021 class that are four-star wide receivers. I mean, that's seven guys at the position that are four stars that are that he's going to be now competing with. I mean, if you were trying to find a place, and I'm not saying like it had to be Mizzou, but Mizzou fits this category. Um, if you're trying to pl- find a place where you could get more playing time, it, it just seems incredibly unlikely that that's going to take place at Alabama. So again, I hope he has success there. I just find it hard to believe that that is the sanctuary that he's going to find mm-hmm. at Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and maybe he does. Maybe he does break through. Maybe Bill O'Brien uh, really likes him and finds a way to get him involved more than uh, what Ryan Day could. Um, you, you never know with these fresh starts. You really don't. But yeah, you hope you hope for the best because this is kind of like their one get out of jail free card that they could they could cash in. So um, yeah, I hope they do well. Uh, kind of wish they would have come to us, but they didn't. So we're just gonna we're gonna keep moving. It'll be fine. Uh, and then last time we spoke to you all, we were talking about the NFL draft, and then it happened. So just to recap, we've got uh, Nick Bolton, who went in the second round, fifty eighth pick to the Kansas City Chiefs. Sure. Certainly Hell no one yeah, on this did. podcast is a big fan of that. Um, <laughs> Tyree Gillespie got picked in the fourth round, 143rd pick to Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Larry Borum in the fifth round, 151st pick to the Chicago Bears. Josh Bledsoe got nabbed in the sixth round, 188th pick to New England. And then Larry Roundtree, old Larry Three Sticks, was the last guy picked for Missouri anyway, sixth round, 198th pick. Going to Los Angeles, uh, the Chargers, and teaming up with Chase Daniel, who uh, was slinging the ball when Larry was in first grade, uh, if you want to feel old. So <laughs> I think I know the answer to this, uh, BK. At least I know your personal flavor on this. But from a professional standpoint, what did you think of the Missouri performance overall in the NFL draft? And what do you think was the best player-to-team pairing that you saw in the draft? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually – so you're probably going to think I'm going to say um, – Nick Bolton to the Chiefs was the best pairing. It's my favorite (laughs) pairing. I'm a Chiefs fan, so of course. I actually do not think it is the best one, though. Uh, The best one to me is Larry Roundtree going Mm. to the Chargers. I love that fit. I think he's got a chance to be able to stick with them for a while. Um, their, Their starting running back, Austin Eckler, is kind of, honestly, in a lot of ways, a Tyler Beatty esque Mm. player where it's like, hey, you could be a bell cow, but he's so small. And like, short I should say he's not a small guy he is huge he's shredded um but he's short and so a lot of people do not give him that workhorse label and so I think Larry Rountree is actually going to get some work for them uh over the next couple of seasons so I love that fit for him I think it's a really good one Joshua Bledsoe if you could say hey any team is going to take a guy that is a super versatile back-end piece on the defensive side of things where do you want to see him go yeah, New England would be the play. So that's a great landing spot for Joshua Bledsoe. I think he's going to do really well there. Um, Borum's in a solid spot with the Bears. I'm going to be interested to see if they play him at tackle or guard. I thought the worst landing spot was Tyree Gillespie with the Raiders. I think they had three safeties they drafted in this class, and they already had one a couple of years ago that they drafted in the first round. So 
tough spot for him. And Nick Bolton, I'm just very curious to see how the Chiefs use him because they took a linebacker in the second round last year. They have a linebacker making about $12 million this year. So I'll be interested to see what his playing time looks like in year one. He's going to get opportunities. I'm just, I think year two is when he's going to take over as a full-time like Mike linebacker. So that's kind of my quick run through on what the what the fits are for those guys. I, I really like Josh Bledsoe to the Patriots. Same reason as you. Uh, Bill Belichick always seems to find the most versatile guys and deploy them correctly, or at least maximize their skills. So that's that's just a good fit. Um, Larry Borm to the Bears. I mean, the Bears and offense are never like super cool together. But you got Justin Fields now, so you know who knows mm-hmm. what that's going to look like, or you know maybe R.I.P. Justin Fields. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see how he breaks in. I am curious about Nick Bolton. Everyone was so excited. Now, granted, you got to realize that the the people who I follow on Twitter who are Missouri guys, uh, or sorry, who are Kansas City Chiefs guys also happen to be Missouri guys. So I didn't really see any like pure uh, Kansas City Chiefs take who didn't have a rooting interest in Mizzou, <laughs> like share their thoughts on it. Hmm. Um, I could share it, those for you if you'd like. <laughs> I mean, it sounded like they were, they were, they thought it was a pretty good fit, but like, am I you kind of hit like kind of special teams and then hopefully break through if their other guys don't work out. Like, is there a possibility? Let me ask this. Is there a threat? He doesn't make the team or is this more like, uh, he's going to be biding his time no. until they cut the contract of the, of the guy they currently work with. Yeah. Anthony Hitchens is the starter right now. He's the one that's making a boatload of money and they're looking to get younger and cheaper and a little better at that position. So that that's the spot where he will have by 2022. Nick Bolton will make this roster. He's definitely going to be on the team. Um, I don't know how much special teams he'll play, probably a little bit just because he's a depth piece. Uh, I, I guess my big question is, is he a starter right away? Is he going to play 60% of the snaps immediately? Or is he a guy, they took Willie Gay out of Mississippi State last year. Is he a guy that's going to end up playing 20 or 30% of the snaps where he's in on specific packages and that's the way that they kind of get him uh, ingratiated into the defense? I'm not sure. And I think for some Chiefs fans that are, are not Mizzou fans, that's the problem that they had with the pick is what's the plan here? What's he going to be utilized as? Is this the best value for their pick in the second round? But I don't think there's anybody that saw the pick and were like, oh, they got a bad player at the 58th overall pick. I think everybody at least seems to agree with the 58th pick. That's great value. And it's pretty surprising to a lot of people that he lasted that long. Well, if you're keeping track at home, Nick was a three star. Tyree was a two star. Larry was a two. Larry Bourne was a two star. Josh Bledsoe was a three-star. Larry Roundtree was a three-star, which is interesting because this draft in particular was super heavy on four- and five-star guys. Um, mm-hmm. Now, part of that is there was no NFL combine. There was only local combines. So it kind of seemed like the scouts were really relying on the most talented guys from the most name-brand schools. I mean, obviously, Alabama gets a lot of guys picked early anyway, but there's a lot of Alabama guys that went. Uh, there's a couple of Cle- uh, Clemson guys that went. Obviously, Kyle Pitts went early. Kadarius Tony went early. Like, big names that you know uh, that were ranked very highly as high school high school athletes. And then coming into college, you know, they were, they were tremendous performers. So it didn't seem like uh, uh, granted, there are also a lot of three, two and three star guys who just chose to stick around in school for another year, which might also add to that problem. But um, it's it's just worth noting that 
three-star and two-star guys can make it into the NFL. It's way, way harder to do it that way. But if you can add weight and keep your speed, that tends to be the thing that lets those lower-graded guys make it into the NFL. And along those lines, BK, I think, and, well, I don't know how our listenership's going to respond, but to me, I would say that this draft in particular was a little bit of a referendum on, on Barry Odom and his staff. Because for all of their faults, you know, they could not, well, they, they didn't recruit like the SEC recruits. They had a tough time making those relationships, and they really had a tough time finding and keeping high athletic guys or even getting four and five star, star guys on the team. But they were really good at identifying talent and getting that kind of diamond in the rough on campus. And with Nick, Tyree, both Larry's and the jo- and Josh Bledsoe, like those guys did not have a lot of P5 offers except for Missouri. And granted, with a little bit of help of Drinkwitz last year, they turned into NFL-level talents. So it kind of feels like to me we should give a tip of the cap to Barry Odom for the thing that we always give him credit for, which is you know talent identification. Um, that was not the problem. It was just getting more of it on campus and then also you know utilizing it correctly. But this seemed to be the referendum on that take. What do you think? I totally agree, and I think it's twofold, right? On one hand, he's really good at identifying talent. That was never a question to me, but I think you put it pretty well. This even showed it to a further degree. It, it, it In plain sight, if you were somebody that was a denier of that, well, he, here it is, right? Um, you've got a bunch of guys that were not seen by other Power 5 schools as being worthy of coming to their universities, and now they're in the NFL. Okay, boom, there you go. That's all the uh, evidence you needed. That being said, it's also a reminder that he didn't find a way, Barry Odom did not, that staff did not, find a way to get the best out of those guys in terms of winning. You know, if you're good at identifying and developing this talent, and they seemed to be, at least with specific positions, you need to go out and do more winning. And that was the issue is, okay, so they're finding these specific players, they're putting them in positions to succeed, they're not surrounding them with enough talent, that's part of it. And once you get to game day, there were too many lapses in decision-making or in play-calling or in timeout usage or in aggressiveness, settling for a field goal instead of going for it on fourth and short. Um, Having a blitz call where you should be playing it more conservative, being conservative where you should be aggressive, like all of these different things, right? And there's some bad luck in there as well. That's what led to the demise of Barry Odom at Mizzou. Uh, mixed with, of course, the lack of four- and five-star recruits that he was able to to bring in. So it's all of those things and then and then more. But I think this was a pretty pretty clear evidence that they were really good at finding that under-the-radar talent, and they developed it well. If he wants to be a successful head coach, and I swear he is going to be a successful head coach somewhere, maybe it's at the G5 level, I don't know. But if he wants to do that, you're absolutely right. Game day performance must improve. Just Flat out game day performance has to improve. But if you want to be successful at the power five level, you can't just rely on those diamonds in the rough. You know, we talked about it before. Gary Pinkle was really good at developing guys, but Oh, by the way, he also locked down the big athletic blue chip guys from the state and from Texas. That is how he did it. And Barry Odom could not do that. Would not do that. Could not do that. So he needs to find a way to recruit the elite level talent as well as identify the under the radar talent uh, and then improve his game day performance. I still think 
10 years down the road, he will be at like, I don't know, Memphis or, um, you know, South Florida and just killing it, just killing it. And we're going, damn, why not here? But, you know, it's, it's about situation. It's about development at the time. Coaches develop just like players do. And he, he was pushed way too early into a position that he was not ready for. Uh, but he was also probably one of the few guys who would take the job after 2015. So, um, you know, again, thank you, Barry, for the time that you that you spent here. Thank you for getting these great players and getting them to the NFL. All very cool. Um, keep getting better, man. <laughs> Hopefully uh, he finds success long term. Or is just, you know, maybe he could just be an awesome defensive coordinator for the rest of his life. That pays pretty well, too, you know. Yeah, Barry Odom's a good football coach. Like wh- whatever the role is, whatever capacity and wherever it takes him, he's a really good football coach. And there's something to be said for that. And I do think that he is. I agree with you for what it's worth, Nate. I think he's going to be a successful head coach somewhere. I don't know if it's going to be at the Power 5 level. Certainly don't know if it's going to be in the SEC. But I think he's a good head coach somewhere. And I think it's probably at the Group of 5 level. And it took him some time to be able to get there. I think he was going to have these growing pains no matter where he was. If it was at Memphis in 2015, because he was one of the top candidates for that job as well. In fact, they wanted him to take that job. And that was one of the things that put pressure on Mizzou to get that done. Um, If he was doing it there, I think he would have gone through some growing pains there. And he certainly went through plenty of them at Mizzou. So hopefully he learns from it. You see this a lot in baseball where a manager gets his first job and then they struggle. They make silly decisions with the certain things. There's, one thing that is just a clear fatal flaw with them as a as a manager, and then they get their second gig, and it's like, oh, wow, they, they cleaned that up a little bit, and now they look like a pretty solid baseball manager. Obviously, coaching football is a little different, especially at the collegiate level, but hopefully he's able to learn some of those lessons that he should have after his first stint. No, knowing basically nothing about him, <laughs> um, like running running a team and stuff like that, but just what you've seen – Game day, how he carries himself, that sort of thing. Do you think he'd be a good NFL coach? Barry? Yeah. No. No? Uh-uh. No. Why not? Why not? Decision-making. Decision-making is just so important at the NFL level. Uh, There are so many fewer things that can give you an edge at the NFL level that a lot of it is in-game situations. Now, could he be a good defensive coordinator in the NFL? That's possible. Uh, I don't know scheme-wise how that would work. I'd have to kind of dive into it a little bit more, but he he could maybe do it as a defense coordinator. I just don't, I, I do not think he would be a great NFL head coach, no. I don't know, man. Jason Garrett made a pretty good career out of being very He was bad. terrible. He was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but he Get was also... He was also the uh, a Jerry Jones pet, so I think a lot Correct. of that carried him for for a decent amount of time there, but whatever. Anyway, enough NFL talk. By the get way, just one, before we get out of there real quick, uh, yeah. Matt Eberflus is a guy that has gone on to the NFL and had a ton of success, so could, could Barry follow in those footsteps? Maybe. Man, Matt Eberflus is like a defensive savant. I You know, in 2008, the kind of the undoing, uh, of that defensive, the defensive side of the ball in particular, uh, was that he just got so <laughs> obtuse <laughs> in, in his defenses. He's like, "Oh, we've got William Moore, and we got we got Sean Weatherspoon, and we got all of our defenses. We're gonna we're do this uh, we're gonna do this stunt, and we're gonna add in a twist here. We're gonna bring the pressure from the. It's like all this like 
artsy fartsy defensive movement and it's like dude just 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 rush the passer like just just go <laughs> they're good enough that they don't you don't have to do all these combo things and like that kind of approach is really good when you have professionals who know the game really well and do nothing but practice all week when you got college kids who have you know somewhere between 10 and 20 hours to implement something less good so i always thought Eberflus would be a really good nfl type of coach and so far he's been he's been killing it up there he's been great and what's funny is in the nfl the knock on him if there is one he's been a really good defense coordinator so i'm not suggesting that he He's like uh, has that fatal flaw that I just referenced a little a little while ago, but the flaw for him is probably that his scheme is a little bit too simplistic. <laughs> so <laughs> no way. <laughs> it's funny how things have kind of come full circle. Oh, jeez, well, got to find a happy medium there, Matt. Mm. But uh, God, he was our defensive coordinator for like ten years, nine years. I think it's oh oh one was, to oh eight, right? Yeah, I think because so. he was under Pinkle the whole time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, eight years. Damn. That was a long time. And then He's he a long time with uh with Gary Binkle. He started he with Tol- him at Toledo in ninety-two as a student yeah. assistant. <laughs> Crazy. So Sixteen years under Gary. G- Gary was nothing if not uh very loyal to very, his assistants. Very loyal. Yeah. And then of course Iberflus uh goes to the NFL and then Dave Steckel uh jumps up and becomes DC. And then he takes the Missouri State job, and then we get to Barry Odom. Ta-da! That's how that happened. Um yeah. So there's a little, little history lesson there for you. Uh, last thing we want to talk about tonight is possible good recruiting news. Um, we are not going to be talking to you for a couple weeks, uh, so we wanted to at least discuss it, the possibility. We, we don't know what's going to happen, but uh, Marquise Gratio, uh the defensive tackle from, his, uh, from the state of Missouri, is looking to commit on this Friday. Uh, and And it sounds like... Hopefully, Missouri's going to get it. We don't know, but it sounds like he's sitting in a, we're sitting in a good spot with him. Uh, so he is um, he is a four-star talent, uh, St. Charles, Missouri, number seven, uh, so number, sorry, number sixth-ranked player in the state. 6'2", 300, uh, six, oh gosh, I'm screwing this up all over the place. 6'5", 295 pounds, a 5.8 four-star. Look, four-stars are good, especially when they're local guys. Um I mean, what kind of impact is he going to have on the roster if he decides to commit to Mizzou? Huge. I mean, this is, like you said, four stars are good, especially when they're local. And if you can get a guy like this to commit early, that's huge. Uh, you would have two of the top six players in the state committed. Toriano Pride sounds like he's, at the very minimum, giving serious consideration to Mizzou, and he's the fourth-rated player in the state. So that would potentially be three of the top six. Dominique Orange is a guy that has been talked about recently as maybe being interested in Mizzou as well. DJ Weselek, I don't know what's going on with him. He's been to campus like 20 times, and then there are reports that he's not interested, so I don't know. But um, it seems like Mizzou is in a good place with, at, at bare minimum, half of the top six players in the state, all of which are four stars. Hey, man, uh, that's what we talked about a few weeks ago whenever I went into mm-hmm. what do you need to have in terms of the four-star, five-star blue-chip talents in the state get half of them, find a way to get about half of them consistently. And you're going to have a ton of success moving forward. That's what Barry Odom did not do. It's what Gary Pinkle did do. And it seems like Mizzou was trending in that direction again under Eli Drinkwitz. So this would be another big recruiting coup if they're able to land him. And looking at it from a, from a roster management standpoint, um, buyers and Whiteside leave after this year, no matter what. 
So that leaves Ben Key as your your reigning senior for 2022. You have the 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 trio of Realist George, Isaiah McGuire, and Darius Robinson. And then the only guy behind them right now is Mikai Wingo, who I believe was named the St. Louis Metro Area Player of the Year uh, for 2000, uh, 2020, 20 or 21, 20. Um, but so very good, but like we have nothing behind that as far as defensive tackles go. So this is you got to at least get one in this class, uh, just to balance out the the experience and the depth. So it would be a really important piece to get any defensive tackle, but certainly a, a homegrown four star is is going to be fitting that bill. They'll probably be looking for one other, even if they do get Gracial. We'll we'll see. Um, but that's that's a huge domino to fall if we get him. And then it's one thing that I feel a lot better kind of going forward. They'll probably move on to other things. Maybe they'll take another commitment from a DT, but having that four-star guy as like, bam, Mikai Wingo and Gracial right there, those that's your duo. That's pretty good for the next four years, if you ask me. Absolutely. It's a great start, if nothing else. And the other thing is, we talked a little bit about the in-state recruiting. Well, so far they have seven commits. Five of them are from in-state. <laughs> One of them is from Overland Park, which is might as well be in-state. Basically, it's on the other side like, yeah. of the state with KC. So that's six of your seven are more or less in-state recruits. And oh, by the way, you potentially are going to have a seventh out of the eight that you have. And despite having a bunch of in-state commits, I, that's not always a good thing. Sometimes it's two and three stars that are committed to you in-state, right? No, nope, Mizzou is currently ranked 20th in the team rank, uh, recruiting rankings by rivals. So they're right where they were a year ago in terms of the overall recruiting rankings. And that'll probably go up a bit if they're able to land another four-star. I would think probably 18, 19, something around there in the teens somewhere. So this is, again, he's, he's recruiting at an unprecedented, consistent level compared to anything that we have ever seen in the history of Mizzou football since they've done these kinds of sites. And Drink is actually kind of doing a little bit different than, than his, than his peers and Missouri is as a school overall. Um, especially the, the top recruiting teams, they have like one or two guys right now. A lot of them are holding off on offering committable offers at this point, um, or at least taking commits because the dead period will, will soon be lifted and players can start taking trips and going to camps and these coaches can see them in person. Now, for for teams who can afford to be picky, right? think of like your Alabamas, your Clemsons, your Ohio States, they can do this because anytime they offer a scholarship, the kid's going to go, yes, win. Um, Missouri can't really do that. We're not in that position. However, you go back last year, and again, it was a crush of commits. That happened really, really early because People weren't sure what was going to happen with COVID. They didn't know if there was going to be a spot. The coach was saying, we don't know if we can't see you, so you might as well commit now. So it's kind of going in the opposite direction. At some point, this is going to normalize, and we'll get a, we'll get a normal recruiting cycle. But for, for right now, there are not a lot of kids committing, and especially not a lot of blue chips committing. So once that lifts, I have kind of get, get the feeling that you're going to see kind of a, a big crush of like, oh, all of these blue chippers are committing. Um, and then – dealing with the fallout at that point. So all that to say, the fact that Marquise is going to commit you know, on Friday is kind of a little bit unique, but it also makes me think it's not a like a big blue blood school because they're not really offering those spots right now. So take that for what it is. I don't know what it means. I, maybe I'm just reading tea leaves, but um, 
it's going to be really interesting to see how recruiting works in 2021 after the weirdest recruiting season of all time in 2020. Yeah, and I actually think this one might be even weirder because, like, to add to your point that you just mentioned, uh, one thing that is worth monitoring, a lot of these kids are going to want to take their visits because they have not been to any schools over the last two years. Basically, since the start of their real recruitments, they have not been able to allow or been allowed to visit campuses. And so a guy like Isaac Thompson has already kind of publicly stated this, a defensive back out of St. Louis, a four-star kid that's committed to Mizzou. He's going to take his five official visits. I don't think that means that he's likely to decommit from Mizzou, but no, no. could make things a little more interesting. And I think you're going to see that from other schools as well. Mizzou's going to be a beneficiary of this from somebody. I don't know who it's going to be, but there's probably a guy that is committed elsewhere that is looking around saying, hey, I, I want to take my five official visits. I haven't been able to enjoy this process at all. So they'll end up coming to Mizzou. Maybe they fall in love with the coaches, the community, whatever, right? Maybe they just enjoy going to Booches. I don't know. But whatever the reasoning <laughs> behind why they end up loving it at, in Columbia, you might be able to be the beneficiary of that, and you might be a victim of it in recruiting. Thus is life. Man, if Booches is responsible for getting four- and five-star kids to Columbia, I have I have vastly underestimated <laughs> that restaurant. Um, cash only, man. <laughs> cash only. I mean, w- whether it's Booches or Shakespeare's or... What whatever your personal preference is, you know, it it, it all works. Mm-hmm. Harpo's after dark is a good spot. Well, stay tuned, listeners. We might might be talking about the food scene in Columbia this summer. We don't know. You don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. Um, but yeah, those, that's kind of the highlights. That's it. Again, we are in spring, so it's kind of a quiet time. Not a whole lot happening. But I hope you do feel like you are a little bit more informed on what happened in the past couple of weeks. Uh, BK, any parting shots before you start getting back to the masking tape and the brown boxes? I'm good, man. Everything else is going well. I'm happy for Marcus Johnson. Um, I am happy that it's hopefully uh, it sounds like Mizzou could get some good recruiting news this week if things continue trending in this direction. Uh, And if they do, that's just another big time addition by Eli Drinkwitz, the latest in what has been many and what will be many more to come. Don't stop drink when he's on a heater, man. Just this is what the guy does but yeah that's the show for today as always we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions you can uh, leave a comment or you can rate us because we love all types of feedback you can follow us on twitter i am at nate g edwards he is at bk sports talk and you can listen to him on the radio 10 to 2 on 101 espn but not tomorrow or friday if you'd like to help bk move get in his mentions he'll pay you pizza and beer white beer so hey you got that going for you uh, but while you're on Twitter, you can also follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.